You know, we often say as pastors, the heart of the problem is a problem of the human heart. God commands us to love him supremely above all else. And he tells us, secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if we love ourselves supremely, we will not love God and we will certainly not love our neighbor as they are worthy. And so every one of these characteristics are an expression of a person who basically says, I'm number one. And that's really the root of all sin. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Signs of the Times. Over the last two days, Pastor Carl has been addressing the climate and character of the world in the last days. We have people today who are denying the authority of Scripture, and we must remember that they are men of depraved minds who have rejected God's truth. And today, Dr. Brogy will address the proselytizing zeal of the people in the last days. Please join us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue. The next three is rather chilling. Look at the first one, unloving. It's a Greek word that is used both in and outside of the Bible to describe family love. The King James trying to capture the meaning of a storgos uses three English words, and beautifully, without natural affection. And so the family is under attack. The devil knows as a nation, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And we have more and more unnatural love. I mean, who would have ever believed that children would murder their parents? A month doesn't go by, sometimes a week doesn't go by where there's not some spot where some guy came in, some child murdered his own parents. But parents are murdering their own children, both in and outside of the womb. And many parents have been sold a bill of goods that children are an imposition and they are a burden. So very often, someone other than dad and mom are raising their children. Only 27% of American homes have what we call a traditional home where dad and mom raise the kids together where the mother stays at home. Now, I just got a letter this week, and I called the lady back. The Bible doesn't teach that a woman should stay at home. I said, have you not read Titus chapter 2? A woman has to be a worker at home. And again, my hat is off to any woman who has to work to put food on the table. And again, we're not dealing with single mothers because in the context, there's an assumption that the woman is married to her husband. But women will go off to the university and their head is going to be hammered with you're meaningless, you're worthless, you're a nothing if you don't go out and get a career when you leave this place. But for you to get married and stay at home, that's meaningless. That's what these young women are being taught. You want what the world has, do what they want. Do what they do and you'll get it. You'll raise rebellious children because no one can raise them with the passion that God has put in your heart to raise them with. Yes, that lady left the church, and there may be others, but I'm not here to make you my friend. I am here as your pastor to tell you the truth because I care about your kids. Without natural affection, 
It's also seen, of course, in the LGBTQ movement that is storming our nation. Listen to these words that Isaiah wrote in his day to Israel that was ripe for judgment, but now not just Israel, America, and the nations of the world. He said in Isaiah 3, the expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. There's no shame. I mean, these churches with flags out in front, banners out in front, there's no shame. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. And so they've come out of the closet and right on to primetime TV. Hey, listen, if, if you had some immoral couple living next door, and they left their windows, blinds up, would you say to your son, hey, son, sit on this box right here, and you just look through their window, and you enjoy yourself. Oh, pastor, I would never do that. But we take that little box and we put it right in our living room and we tell our children to feed on this and we wonder why so many are turning from the living God. Listen, God says, I covered it a few weeks ago, that laws are written to curb this kind of behavior. 1 Timothy 1 says that, that man's laws are not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers. He says laws are made for immoral men, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and anything else contrary to sound teaching. God tells us that laws are to be written not to condone this behavior, but to curb this behavior because God knows the consequences. Now our president wrote an executive order just came out, the title of it is, The Executive Order on Advancing Equality for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, and Intersex Individuals. It's section three of the June 15th, 2022 Executive Order. Let me just quote a portion of it. He said, the government is to quote, increase public awareness of the harms and risks associated with so-called conversion therapy for the LGBTQI plus youth and their families. In collaboration with the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Home and Human HSS, uh, the Secretary and Administrator of the United States Agency for International Development, these departments shall develop an action plan to promote an end to its use around the world. Then it goes on to speak of a different kind of counseling that they are to propagate that seeks, quote, to prevent or reduce behaviors associated with family rejection. So a kid comes home from school and he's being told, it's okay, you're a transgender, honey. Mom, I'm a girl now. Well, according to this executive order, he wants to reduce families who think that way. He wants to write laws against that. Again, that seeks to prevent or reduce behaviors associated with family rejection of the LBDQI youth by providing developmentally appropriate support, counseling, or information to parents, families, caregivers, child welfare. That would be like DSS. You think they're coming after your kids? Some of the things I said a decade ago, I was laughed at. I was told I was extreme. I'm telling you where this is going if the Lord doesn't first catch up the church. 
You got a child and, and he says he's transgender and you say you're not, honey, and, and I'm going to bring you to counseling that will teach you otherwise from God's holy word. You may be deemed, as we got two cases going on right now, an unfit parent. Caregivers, child welfare, school personnel, or healthcare professionals on how to support the LBTQ youth safely and well-being. So according to the president's order, if I try to counsel someone, they call it conversion therapy. I can't convert anyone, but I can preach the gospel and God can convert a person. God can make them a new creature. God can rescue them out of this lifestyle. And he's saying that what I am doing as a pastor and what Christian counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists who hold on to the biblical word, worldview is harmful. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. That's where we're at. And listen, as I just read from 1 Timothy 1, if this was indeed something you are born with, then how could God hold a homosexual accountable on the same level that he holds a kidnapper, a perjurer, or a murderer? He couldn't. But this is what God says. God says there's just two genders. In the beginning, he created them male and female. And so God gives clear evidence as to how he has created us. There's no such thing as gender fluidity. And I know we think we are so smart and so wise... But God calls the wisdom of this world foolishness. He continues, the fifth negative prefix word is translated here, irreconcilable. Another English text says unappeasable. Another says truce breaker. I suppose there's not one English word that can capture it all. One of the marks of the last days will be truce breaking. And so it describes someone who doesn't keep his promises. It might be in business. I've done a lot of business in my early years with people just on a handshake. All they needed was my word. I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm just telling you how, how I've done it many, many times. Well, in the last days, there'll be more and more truce breakers. And of course, it's fleshed itself out, especially in marriage, where people make a promise to God Almighty that nothing will separate us until death do us part or the Lord Jesus comes back. And let me just say parenthetically, if you've already broken your marriage and you've been remarried, you are in the will of God. And what God has called clean, no man is to call unholy. But do not justify just because you have now a great second marriage. Do not justify that this was God's ideal because God's ideal is one man, one woman until death severs the relationship. Truce breakers. And so Paul links these five words together with family life. The next seven words are wider than the family. Notice malicious gossips. The Greek word diabolos is often translated gossip or malicious gossip. We get our word diabolical or devil. And of course the devil, his name means he's a slanderer. And that's what people do is they destroy a good name and they slander you. People who don't keep their word, who are irreconcilable, who are truce breakers, will often then slander you to drag you down to justify what they've done. He adds then, without self-control. That's a large part of our population, where the mentality is, if it feels good, then do it. In addition to this lack of self-control, he describes people who are brutal. Uh, the Net Bible says savage. The King James says fierce. 
It's used to describe a savage beast, a wild animal. And so, more and more, we have a brutality that is unfolding in our nation. According to our own government last month, violent crime is up 30% in all of our major cities. And there are now 140 known terrorist groups that are functioning in the world today. And while we're on the subject of savagery or brutality, may I remind you that Hitler classified the Jews not as people, but as rats. And like rats, you exterminate them. And so our politicians say, I am personally opposed to abortion, but what a woman does with her own body is her own business. That would be like me saying, I'm personally opposed to exterminating the Jews, but what someone does in their own private gas chamber is their own business. And this brutality we have seen since the Supreme Court's decision and the kickback from major denominations and so-called evangelicals who are not evangelicals at all. There's no way under heaven that you can say that abortion is right and call yourself someone with a regenerate born-again mind. But God says this is the brutality of the last days. And we are living in a day of moral, political unrest, of brutality, difficult times. In addition, the society of the last days, notice, will be haters of good, or you could render it despisers of those who are good. So instead of honoring what is good, you honor what is evil. And so the hero today is not the man of God. It's not the evangelist. It's not the missionary. It's not the godly father. It's not the mother who chooses to stay home and raise her children. Those are not the heroes of the youth today. The heroes today are the immoral Hollywood actors, the sports gods, the athletes, the heavy metal rock band leaders. And sadly, in a world where we have rejected good, we need to hear, hear and heed again. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In addition, notice they are treacherous. You could actually translate it traitorous because it's the same word that's used to describe Judas, Iscariot. It describes people who betray other people because they can't be trusted. Neither friendship nor partnership makes any difference to them. They lie, they break promises, they betray others, they break friendships. They're treacherous, they're reckless. That means they make rash decisions without any careful thought. They're conceited. The Living Bible renders it puffed up with pride. The King James literally high-minded. They're swollen with conceit. And so these people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. By the way, there's nothing wrong with loving pleasure. God said, you, you will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and your right hand are pleasures forever. God's not against pleasure. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, I think it's verse 17, he says he gives us all things to enjoy. The problem is when you love pleasure more than you love God. And that's where we're at. There's a lot of people today who are not here because they're out on the golf course. They took their boat and they wanted to get a jump start out on the river. They left for vacation early. They're not here because they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're being shaped by this world system in which we live in. And so the restaurants are packed, the stadiums are full, but the church houses are empty. 
And more and more, this is what God says it will be like. And so the Lord's Day is not even honored. And there are some of you who have never recovered from the convenience of the pandemic. For seven weeks, we had our doors shut, but we live streamed until we realized it wasn't nearly as bad as they made it. But we did what our governor asked us to do. But some of you have never come back. And you've got the health to be here. I'm not talking about the dear mom who's home with sick kids today or someone with some compromised immune system. I'm talking about someone who's driven by fear or convenience. And God says, as you see the last days unfold, all the more you are to gather together in Hebrews chapter 10. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Implication, you can see the day as it's coming. So people say, you know, I talked to a brother, and he was a good brother yesterday. He said, you always preach for an hour? I said, well, not always. Sometimes an hour and 15 minutes. Or <laughs> he said, I, I like it. But other, an hour? How long was your movie last night? It bother you? How long's your football game? But you see, when it comes to holy things, I don't have an hour. I just want to get out of here. Well, there's a lot of churches that will be happy to help you. Look at the religious observance in the last day, point B, and finally, in verse 5, he says, people will be holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Uh, there's no shortage of some kind of religion in America. It's often redefined now. People are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. But history demonstrates that religion and wickedness often go hand in hand. That's one of the themes of the book of Amos. In Amos's day, religion was booming, but so was injustice. In Isaiah, he dealt with the same problem, and he said to the northern kingdom of Judah, let me read it to you, God speaking, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. And these were things that they were to do and to observe. I hate them. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. And of course, Jesus made the same complaint against the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. And Paul, 30 years later, is warning us of the same problem. They have a form of godliness outwardly, but inwardly they are deficient. They have faith without works, to use James's phrase. They have form without power. They have rebellion without re religion, without reality. They profess to know God, Titus says, but by their deeds they deny him. Listen, when you're truly regenerated by the Spirit, and if you are walking in fellowship with the Lord, there's a hunger to be here today. You love the people of God. You love the Word of God. A second birth changes you. And so Paul's warning to Timothy about these religious folks who are denying the standard, who are ignoring the treasure. Avoid such men as these. So we're not to join ourselves with churches that have religion without reality. And when a believer has religion without reality, we are to exercise church discipline with a view to restore them, to help them to get right. 
Let me ask you a question. Some of you are listening to me today by radio, by television, by internet. And some of you I know and I'm grateful. You know, I got a lady wrote me an email this week and she said, I, I, I listen early. I live in Texas. And, and then I go to my church a little bit later on. That, that's wonderful. But some of you have not led, left your cold, liberal, dead churches. There's good, godly men in your community, but you haven't left the cold, dead, liberal churches. Why? Well, because we've been here for five generations. My daddy went here. My granddaddy went here. My great-granddaddy went here. They're all buried out back. We've always gone here. Listen, if your granddaddy could get up and leave, he would, but he can't. But you should. You are not to support churches that are not faithful to the word of God. Avoid such men as these. Finally, the proselytizing zeal in the last days, beyond their moral conduct and religious observance, their proselytizing zeal for among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by impulses. Paul knows that those who are deceived by the devil, because the devil loves company, he tries to use some of his agents to captivate weak women. Now understand, he's not ragging on women. He just is highlighting an opportunity that the devil used to attack some women. The man's away, he's working hard. Where did the church meet? They didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in homes, and the women would get together. It's plural. And they'd have their discussions and prayer meetings and Bible study, and some guy would come in, and he would captivate them. It's a word they choose of a military operation. They worm their way in. And he goes after their impulses. You see, there's a dimension to women that's different from men. Women are far more feeling-oriented than men. And that's a good thing. Because women bring warmth into this church family. Women bring warmth into the home that we don't bring as men. We're the protectors. We're the providers. Not that we can't be feeling oriented. We should be. But more on feeling, more on impulse, they respond. And so in the history of the church, there are female victims, whether it's Simon, a Simon Magus or a Joseph Smith with his 40-some wives or a Kenneth Copeland or a Creflo Dollar or Joel Osteen. They all operate on feelings, but they all preached another Jesus, not the Jesus of Holy Scripture. And so some of these are described always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They're weak. What do they do? They bring their husbands along. Here, Adam, here's the apple. We don't know it was an apple, I know. Take it. You have some weak woman who's driven by an impulse and not by the truth of Holy Scripture and she'll rationalize and she'll convince her husband and he'll follow. They remind me of the folks in Acts 17 who had as their pastime a discussion-oriented religion but never came to faith and he uses Janus and Jambres who oppose Moses. You say, where are they in the Bible? They're not. Well, how did Paul know about him? Well, it was either an oral tradition 
or a written tradition. There are some things that are written traditions, some that are oral traditions that were codified in things like the Mishnah. And when they were true, sometimes the Spirit of God would reach down and he'd put it in the Scripture to put his stamp of approval. That's something you can believe. However Paul received this particular tradition, it was true. And tradition says that Janus and Jambres were the two lead magicians that you will find in Exodus 7 through 9 and the various dirty tricks they did to try to deceive the Pharaoh under Satan's power. And that's why the Bible says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they be of God. And so we have people today who are denying the authority of Scripture as the infallible, inerrant Word of God. They are men of depraved mind who have rejected rejected in regards to the faith. But again, the promises they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all. Just as Janice's and John Bray's folly was also. Where are you today? I'm sure there's someone listening who's never crossed the line. A dear woman came in this week searching earnestly, how do I know I'm really saved? She knew the gospel, incredibly bright woman. Well, among other things, there's the promise of the finished work by which you can have assurance. There's the inner witness of the spirit by which you can have assurance. There's an unashamed confession of faith by which you can have assurance. And there's a new direction, a new lifestyle where you want to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Is that you today? Or do you just have a form of religion without power? You say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I know it. I need to be saved. Well, come today because one of these days the king is coming. The question is, will he come for you? Now, Father, as best I could, I tried to explain this passage. And I pray that you would take these words and use them this morning and to those who will listen later. I pray today for someone who is here who's never received Jesus as Lord. Thank you that he came into the world to save sinners. That he loves our president, our vice president, our speaker of the house. He loves them. Christ died for them. But he wants them to repent as he does any of us who have never met Jesus. Help someone today in simple faith, knowing what Jesus did, that he died, was buried, and was raised, to say, Lord Jesus, save me and change me. Now, Father, as we've gone through this list, you've given us this to prepare us, not to scare us. You've given us this list to help us to be aware of what will happen, that we don't need to moan and groan and grovel but we can know that even as things get darker, it is a reminder that Jesus is coming. Help us to be ready for his return. You have told us it is not to change our responsibility, that we're not to sit on our hands, but we are to take the gospel and preach it. So help us in this new week to be faithful stewards of the treasure that you've entrusted to us, to look and to pray for opportunities to tell people how they can be forgiven and saved. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As we close, one of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, 
Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy of Are the Unevangelized Really Lost with a donation of any amount to Search the Scriptures. Please give us a call at 877-787-7478 or visit searchthescriptures.org to receive your copy today. If you missed any of our previous messages and would like to order your own copy, give us a call and request program God's Prophetic Schedule 008. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.